God, take these moments before us in which we turn to your word to open up our eyes to see you and to know you and to trust in you more. Amen. Please be seated. Richard Holloway was a, a bishop in the Anglican Church. He wrote this. He said, this is my dilemma. I am dust and ashes. I am frail and wayward. I'm riddled with fears. I'm beset with needs. I am the quintessence of dust, and to dust I will return. But there is something else in me. Dust I may be, but I am troubled dust. I am dust that dreams. I am dust with premonitions of glory. I am dust with, that believes there is a destiny prepared for me of an inheritance that one, will one day be my own. I just love that quote. I am dust, sure, but I am also troubled dust. Dust with dreams, dust with hopes, dust that, with hopes of glory. We're in a sermon series entitled The Implications of the Resurrection. And over these few weeks following Easter, We've been asking the question of so what? What are the implications of today, for today, of that event that happened so long ago? What does it matter that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? Last week we asked the question of resurrection and power. The idea that it is through the resurrection of Jesus that you and I have power for this present moment. So we move from the present, this present moment, to the future, to our future hope. And so this week, resurrection and hope. We are in 1 Peter. If you'll turn there in your Bibles for me, it's printed for you in your sermon leaflet as well, your service leaflet as well. I think if you're just to take a step back from this passage and ask, What's the main idea? What's really? What's the author really want to communicate? The author is First uh, Peter. Is not First Peter. The one and only Peter. Uh, the author Peter. What's he trying to communicate to us? I think his thesis is for this passage is that you can be certain, the certainty of our future hope. If you're looking for this in your Bible, it's towards the very, very end of your Bible. Only a few, uh, one of the last books in the Bible. So First Peter chapter one. The dominant idea is that of security. Follow along with me. I think you can see what I mean. Peter, the author, tells us that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen, let's listen to the words of assurance. This living hope is an inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled and unfading. It is being kept in heaven for you. In other words, there's an inheritance that God has for you, and this inheritance is being guarded by God for you in heaven. Further, verse, moving on to verse 6, verse 5, not only is our inheritance guarded, but also we are guarded for it. We who are by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation that's ready to be revealed. And so you hear two themes of certainty, two words of certainty. Not only is our 
future home, described as our inheritance, being guarded. It's not going to go anywhere. We are being guarded for it, and it is being guarded for us. It is a certainty. Again, I think that's the thesis of these opening verses. John Eldridge writes in his book, The Sacred Romance, Christ promises that he is saving a place in heaven for you. When we walk into that crowded excitement of the wedding feast of the Lamb, and that's one of the many images that the Bible uses to describe our eternity, the wedding feast of the Lamb. When we walk into that crowded excitement with the sound of thousands of conversations, laughter and music, the clinking of glasses, and one more time our heart leaps with the hope that we might be let into that sacred circle, we will not be disappointed. We will be welcomed at the table. No one will have to scramble to find another chair. No one will have to scramble to make room for us at the end of the table or rustle up a place setting. There will be a seat with our name on it, held open at Jesus' command for us and for no other. Do you see that note? The salvation just ready to be revealed. There'll be no last-minute scrambling to make sure your place is ready. Remember, there's a well-known and beloved passage in John's Gospel where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and I will, I will bring you to myself. He's going to prepare a place, and there's a place in eternity ready for you. There will be no last-minute scramble. Your reservation has been made, and you can bank on it, and it is a certainty. So I want to address this passage and ask, ask three simple questions of it. And the first is, what? What is our certain hope? We've talked thus far that there is a certain hope, but we haven't done much to define what that hope actually is. Let's spend some time and think about what that hope actually is. Secondly, let's consider the basis for our certainty. How can we be certain? We're told, be certain about it. On what basis can we be certain? And number three, why? Why is it important that you and I have a certainty about our eternal home? So, what is it? How can we be certain of it? And why is it important that we be certain of our future hope? All right? So, let's jump right in. What is a Christian's hope? It's easy to fall prey to kind of a kind of a kind of sloppy thinking on this question. I mean, there's a lot of views of what happens after you die, and I don't mean to be the critic, the critic of heaven, but most of what we think about is really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the Bible. I mean, most people think about eternity. It's very pastel, uh, light colors, some clouds, and it's kind of being with God is about as far as any of us get. And that's fine, that's simple, I don't mean to kibosh anyone's dreams of, of if that's where we are right now, that's okay, but the Bible has a lot more to tell us about your future hope than just the pastel colors that you find on the back of a Hallmark card. The hope that Christians have is a hope that is summarized in this one word, resurrection. That Jesus died and rose again. And one day we will rise again. Did you hear in our, the creeds that we affirmed? We affirmed not one, but two resurrections. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And who's, who else? You and me. We believe in our resurrection, the resurrection to come. The Christian hope is not resuscitation. Jesus was not resuscitated. 
Jesus, uh, the Christian hope is not uh, that we will continue in some shadowy existence. Jesus was not raised as a ghost. Do you remember how many times Jesus asked for food during, his resurrection, during the resurrection appearances? All the time. Can I have a piece of fish? Why? Because he was a body. He was raised to a new and living body. The Christian hope is not that we will live on in the memories of those who love us. I hope that happens. Jesus certainly lived on in the memories of those who loved him. But he did more than that. He came back to life in a new and risen life. And that is the Christian hope as well. It's described in the Bible in, uh, by the Apostle Paul in a book called 1 Corinthians as some, a seed is buried into the ground. Uh, a, a naked, seemingly impotent seed just stuck in the ground. One day you and I will be stuck in the ground. And out of that seemingly impotent seed, a beautiful tree is born. Jesus was placed in the ground, powerless, naked, just like that seed, just like you and me. But Jesus came back to resurrected life, and you and I will come back to a resurrected life. And not just you and me, but the entirety of a creation as well. Jesus himself spoke of what he called the palingenesis. It's a great Greek word. Palin means new. Genesis, you recognize, means creation. A new creation. That is what Jesus anticipated. That's what the Bible affirms. It's not just you and me being resurrected, but the entirety of the cosmos. The Apostle Paul wrote in the Romans chapter 8 that the entirety of creation longs for its rebirth. And this letter to, uh, that we are exploring now, at the very end, we find the same thing of the whole earth being renewed. So again, what is the Christian hope? That just as in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, just as he was raised so that we will rise again and with us all of creation, the old will not be destroyed but will be transformed. This is the Christian hope. So that's the what. I was listening to This American Life yesterday on NPR, uh, and it was actually an episode that I'd seen bef heard before. And it was an episode entitled Heretics. It's worth looking up on the website. Very interesting. It tells the story of a very influential pastor of the early 90s. His name was Pearson, last name of Pearson. He was a rising star on the evangelical surrogate. He was being, his church was 5,000 plus and growing. He was a pastor in Tulsa. He was on the president's advisory board, etc. Just He was the rising star. And something happened to him. And he began to question some of the, some of the, I guess, more difficult aspects of our Christian faith. And we all do it. Thomas was a famous doubter. Thomas was anything but certain. He became certain. And everyone goes through seasons of thinking, gosh, this is a hard thing for me to wrap my head around. Well, this pastor had those moments and he took his doubts into the pulpit, and he began to present his doubts as an alternative narrative. And it sounds good. It sounds good of, you know, there are many ways to eternity. We, can, we don't need to be so limited and so narrow as to what we viewed that Jesus is the only way. And it was a sad story. It was sad because you can imagine many of the people he counted as friends and colleagues really treated him pretty shabbily. But it was also a frustrating story because these sort of narrow views of his childhood were presented as just that, childhood, childhood beliefs. That Jesus is the only way, that's just something of 
That's okay for a Sunday school, but don't we all sort of grow out of that? And so that was the, the frustrating part of, of this presentation. Can't we all just grow into a greater, uh, broader uh, understanding of God, a broader understanding of Jesus? Why do we need to insist that, that he is the only way? But Christians have always insisted of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as the only way to our certain eternal home. Because Christianity has a very, very unique view of your eternal home. I guess if, if heaven were nothing more than the vague pastel clouds that many of us associate heaven with, there are many ways to that heaven. But there's only one way to the eternal future that the Bible describes. A resurrected body, a new creation. There's only one way to that future because there's only one person who has been resurrected. And that is Jesus. So what is our Christian hope? Our Christian hope is resurrection. That just as Jesus rose so we will rise again, and not just us, but all of creation with us. Now, that's the hope. That's the first question, the what of our certain hope. Now the second question, why or how? How can you be certain of this hope? Well, I see two reasons for this certainty. I think you will see them as well. Look at verse 3. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, right, note that word, according by his great mercy, he has caused us. So at the foundation of our certainty, at the foundation of our salvation, the basis for our certainty is God's mercy. A poem I find funny, maybe you will find it funny too. The title is The World's Greatest Poem. It goes like this. I was shocked, confused, and bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by all the beauty, not by the beauty of it all, nor by the lights of its decor. But it was the folks of heaven who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, and all those sinners, and all that other trash. There stood that kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor. He never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was... Sitting on cloud nine, he was looking pretty well. I nudged Jesus. I said, what's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How did all these sinners get up here? There's got to be some mistake. And further, why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Can you give me a clue? Hush, my child, Jesus said. They're all in shock. No one thought they would see you. The cause of our salvation, at the bedrock of our salvation, is the mercy of God. If resurrection was something you could earn, you could never be certain. How could you be certain you could do enough or earn enough? Your resurrection, our future hope, is not based upon merit. It is based upon God's mercy, one of the most comforting words of the entire funeral service, at least in the Anglican tradition, the words that we say at the conclusion. May the soul of the departed and all the dearly departed through what? 
not through their merits, but through the mercy of God, may they rest in peace. So is mercy first, the first reason for our certainty? Our certainty of our salvation, we are certain of it because our salvation is rooted in the mercy of God. Now the second reason for certainty, follow along with me, God's mercy has caused us to be born into a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the basis, the cause is God's mercy. How he did it was by bringing Jesus Christ from the grave, raising him up again. The British author J.R. Tolkien argues that in every great story there's a turn, there's a moment in which despair is suddenly and miraculously reversed. This moment denies universal defeat and gives a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, joy as poignant as grief. And for Christians, this turn occurred on Easter morning. The empty tomb, the folded grave clothes is the moment which denies universal defeat. It's the turn which gives a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the world. And Tolkien continues, he says, there is no tale, referring to the resurrection, there is no tale ever told which we would rather find is true, and none which so many skeptics have accepted as true on its own merits. That's a mouthful, but I think it's so accurate. There's no other story that we should hope to be true, that Jesus rose from the grave, and there's no other story which so many have accepted on its own merits as being true. Tolkien, along with countless others, have accepted it as such, as true on its own merits, and therefore they And you and me, I can look back with certainty upon what God did in Jesus and know that what God did for his son, he will do for us as well. And how can we know with certainty that God will raise us up in the days to come? Because he raised his son up then. What God did for Jesus, he will one day do for us. So here are two unshakable pillars for our certainty. The first pillar is rooted in the nature of God, his mercy. The second pillar is rooted in what God has done in history, namely rising his son, raising his son from the grave. And these are the two pillars that ground our certainty so that we can say with confidence, I know, I know with certainty my future home. Our news has been filled with the passing of uh, former First Lady Barbara Bush. 73 years of marriage. Isn't that something? 73 years. Apparently, one of her children, Jeb, uh, had one last moment with his mother, and he told of this in his eulogy on her. Jeb asked his mother about dying, and she said, Jeb, I believe in Jesus, and I know he is my Savior. I don't want to leave your dad, but I know that I will be in a beautiful place. And that's that word, that little word, no. I know it. I know I will be in a beautiful place. And it's a note of certainty which I find so personally compelling and so reflective of this passage. Another little anecdote, Philip Henry was the father of Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry is a Bible scholar, so apparently uh, uh, Matthew Henry was a preacher and Bible scholar. I think this uh, this. Uh, instance from his childhood, from his father, made it into his own preaching. So Matthew's Henry father is named Philip. And Philip and a young lady were engaged, and uh, they were from the wrong side of the tracks. Philip Henry uh, was not very wealthy, not, and his fiancée was. 
was not a barrier for the, the, the woman, but it was for her parents. And apparently the woman's pa uh, parents pulled her aside and said, Honey, this man Philip, Philip Henry, do you know where he is from? And the future Miss Henry gave this immortal reply and said, I do not know where he has come from, but I do know where he is going. And you, with certainty, can know where you are going. Look to what God has done in Jesus in raising him from the grave. What he did for him, he will do for those who trust in him. Trust in yourself, not to your own merit, but to his mercy. And this hope, this certain hope, can be yours as well. So the first of our two questions, what is our certain hope? How can we be certain of our, this hope, God's nature, and what he did in history? Third and final, why is it important? Why do you think that this author first of Peter, first Peter, stumbles over his words to say, you can know it. This is an inheritance. It is imperishable, unfaded, unfailing. It's not going anywhere. And God is guarding you, and you're going to make it. Why would he begin his letter like that? Well, imagine a scene that doesn't require too much imagination. Imagine a father speaking to his daughter on some war-torn coast. Imagine this father and daughter looking at this little rickety boat that is supposed to bear them across the sea into a new home. Imagine this father and daughter contemplating the thousands of hundreds of miles that they will uh, walk on foot. And this father tells this little girl how wonderful their new home is going to be, how safe they're going to be, about ice cream and parks and grass under the feet. And he tells his daughter the certainty that he has that they are going to make it one day. And why does this father tell that to his daughter? Because the journey is going to be hard. And her throat's going to become dry. Her feet are going to be worn out. And she will be tempted to give up. She'll wonder if it's worth the effort. And the father tells the daughter of the certainty of her new home, well, so that she will not. She will not give up. This letter was written on the, out, on the eve of one of the greatest outbreaks of persecution in the early church. Historians refer to it as the Neronian persecution. Emperor Nero did atrocious things. And as this letter is written, the storm clouds are gathering. It's further imagined that this letter was written to, uh, the fancy word is a catechumenist, someone about to be baptized. So just like we baptized uh, Naomi in a, uh, previously in the service. So this was a letter to be instructive of people to be baptized. And why would the author tell the newly baptized members of the certainty of their eternal home? of a, a heavenly inheritance guarded for them and them for it. A, a heavenly home that is rooted in God's mercy that's been revealed in the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because following Jesus is about to become very, very difficult for them. And Peter, the author, spoke to this church like that father spoke to that daughter. You will face difficulties. Don't give up. You'll face uncertainties. Don't give up. 
You'll be afraid, don't give up. You'll face danger. Peter himself was martyred, along with many others. Still, don't give up. Your future hope is certain, absolutely certain. Now, thankfully, none of us face the challenges that they faced. Yet, life is hard, and following Jesus is hard. And we will all be tempted to give up. We'll all face disappointments, loss, face doubts. Still, don't give up. Face temptation. We'll be tempted to wander, tempted to be ashamed of Jesus, and tempted to be ashamed of his church. Still, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Why? Because your future hope is certain. And our future hope is good. Our future hope is resurrection. And that future hope is rooted in God's mercy, revealed in the resurrection of his son, and it's absolutely certain. I hope you know it. Just take a few moments and ponder the certainty of your future hope. We'll join in our final hymn.